Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Uh, we've been going through uh, the book of Luke, asking this, uh, answering, trying to answer this question. Hopefully each individual is answering this question. Who do you say that I am? Jesus asked his disciples that after a- asking them what other people were saying about him. And they were saying, hey, some people are saying you're the Christ. Some people saying you're, you're Elijah and, and, and one of the prophets. And, and, but Jesus very intimately wanted to know from, from his followers, those people that were showing up to hear him talk, that were following him from place to place, watching him heal. He wanted to know from them, who do you say that I am? And of course, we know what Peter said. We believe that you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You're the one sent to to save us from our sins. And so hopefully, as we answer that question, and we've been taking this journey with Jesus, that that has become something very real uh, to you. I praise God along the way. We have seen people give their life to Christ. We've seen people... Uh, grow up in church, give a life to Christ even recently. Next, next Sunday, we're going to uh, baptize a, a young lady. We've seen men uh, who thought they were saved before give their lives to Christ. And so uh, it's a very important thing. Eternity is real, it's, and it's really long. It's never-ending. It's everlasting. It's eternity. And so uh, this is so important as we journey with Jesus to make sure that you know if he's your Lord and he's your Savior, if he's not, I'm getting that matter straight. But last week, we uh, looked at three very vital points. I think they're encouraging points, too. I just want to remind you of that, uh, of what those were. Number one was don't let anything or anyone keep you from the cause uh, or the cross. Jesus calls his followers to take up our cross daily and follow him. That means uh, the shame, the pain, the affliction, the sacrifice, whatever it takes to follow Jesus Christ, that's what we are to do every single day. And it's not just when it's convenient, not when we feel like it, not when everybody else is doing it, but even when we feel alone, we are to daily take up the cross and follow Jesus Christ. And so we shouldn't let anything or anyone keep us from that. Number two, don't miss the opportunity to respond to the Word of God when you have it. It's not just in services like this where we're opening up God's Word, we're going through God's Word, and we have an opportunity this morning to take this Word, to take this message, and to respond to it the way that God wants us to respond in a way that's pleasing to Him. Don't miss that opportunity, but don't miss the opportunity on a daily basis to be engaged in God's Word, walk with Him. You know, I, Rochelle was singing that song, and, and, and it, I've heard her sing it, I don't even know how many times over the years. And I've heard that song, I don't know how many times over the years. Uh, but the, a line in that song caught me, uh, and it, and it caused, caused me to well up, and she said, the God of, I don't even know what it was, just the God of earth and creation or something, I mean, whatever that line was, uh, would, would take the time to care for someone like me. And, and that, it just blows my mind, and that thought blows my mind, and, and the fact that he wants to daily walk with us, and that his grace is available to, uh, for us to, when we do mess up, to turn back to him and say, God, please forgive me, I want to get back right with you, I want to walk in fellowship, and just like in, in that song, I'll serve you until my dying day, and help others find the way, I'm here at your mercy, and so I, I, I love that, that thought, but we don't need to miss an opportunity to respond to God's word when we have it, and we have it right now, it's free, it's in the service, tomorrow morning when you wake up, if God allows you to wake up, uh, it's going to be free, the word of God there, to have it and to respond to it, and the third one is don't forget the Lord always keeps his promises. And that's why it's so important for us to be in God's word, to intimately walk with the God of creation, the God that laid down his life for our salvation. An amazing, amazing thing is this, that he's told us in his word certain things, and he always keeps those things, whether they are blessing or whether they are correction. And let's not be, let's not be uh, you know, misunderstanding that. If God says, if you do this, I will bless you, be assured, if you do this, God will bless you. But if God says, don't do this, or I will correct you, be assured, if you do this, God will correct you. That's just the God he is. He always keeps his promises. And so, again, vital points, encouraging points. And I want to remind us that at this point in time in Jesus' journey on this earth, he was grieving over the fact that the Jews, the religious Jews, and he referred to them as he cried out to Jerusalem, they had rejected. They were in this, this spiritual state that they had rejected him, and 
it, again, very vital, important times because we can look at what he was saying to them and, and look at the church goers today. Look at religion today, if you will. Not necessarily Christianity. We could say Christianity in quotes, uh, but churchgoers are religious today. And so this morning, I think we're going to see uh, something very important. Uh, he's going to make a comparison about those who are going into the kingdom versus those who aren't, but also some things we can take with us, some principles that we can apply right now. So I want to pray and move forward in this. So Father, thank you so much for this time. We again thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy. Thank you for our salvation. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this freedom we have to gather in your name that we've already experienced uh, the great blessings so far. Lord, the opportunities to worship you uh, even in our fellowship and communicating and communing with each other. And thank you for the, the blessing of worship through songs and, and our lips giving praise to your name and, and thanks. And we just thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship through giving. God, you're such a giving God. You gave the ultimate price for us and you give us so many other blessings in this world. And uh, you, you cause the blessings to overflow, especially for us in America. And for us to be able to just give back a, a small portion of that to you is such an amazing privilege, God. And we're thankful that you give us that. And we're thankful we can give back to you. And now we, as we open up your word and it's preached, Lord, we ask that you would move in our presence as has already been prayed. Lord, we want you to, to be present with us and we want you to be the center. We want you to be the focus. Help us to give you our complete attention, your word, to hit our hearts and to hit our spiritual eyes and ears and for us to receive it and respond in a way that does please you. And Lord, if there is someone that's lost here today as we've already prayed many times today, I pray your word would go out and it would hit their heart and it would convict and the Holy Spirit would convict them, you would draw them and they would surrender their life to you so that they don't have to worry where they're going to spend eternity. Or maybe they've never thought about that before, but today they'll make a decision to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they'll know without a doubt that when they leave this place, no matter what happens to them, they're going to spend eternity in heaven. Lord, if there's someone that's lost today, I pray they would be saved by your grace. And Lord, we pray all these things, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can look in Luke chapter 14. Uh, what we're going to pick up, it's also going to be on the screen. Beginning in verse 1, it says this, And it came to pass as he went into the house of one of the chief Pharisees, if this is so interesting, the Pharisees, just some of the Pharisees in the last message came to him and said, hey, you, need to, you don't need to go to Jerusalem because Herod wants to kill you. And we know what that was about. That was about pretense. They, they were just wanting him to stop preaching. They were just wanting him to stop doing what he was doing. He was messing with their religious system. He was messing up what they wanted to do. So they were just trying to stop him. Now he's sitting or he's going to a supper at one of the chief Pharisees' house. Such an interesting thing that, that Jesus wasn't afraid uh, to face the critics. He wasn't afraid uh, to, 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 to face the lost. He wasn't afraid to, to face even those that were wanting him dead. And I think it was because, of course, his love for them, but also the need to, for the truth to reveal uh, how wicked man's religion was. But it says that he, he, he goes into the house of one of the Pharisees, the chief Pharisees, to eat bread on the Sabbath day. And look what happens. And they watched him. They watched him. You know, there's, I don't want anything bad to happen to you. I don't want anything bad to happen to me. But there's, there's something about this as a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and, and as a great, supposed to, we're supposed to be great ambassadors for him. There's something about this that is, I don't know if the word is enticing, or there's something about it, the fact that those enemies of the cross, those, those, those people who were so religious, they were blinded in their pride. They were blinded to the Messiah being in their presence. They were, they were right there. There's something about this, the fact that they were held captive at his presence. And, and, and the reason why I say it's enticing for me is because I feel like that's what we, as, as the body of Christ, as, as his body, his family on this earth, the world, the enemies of the cross should look at us and watch us. What are they going to do next? What are they doing? Why are they doing that? We want them stopped. They, and, and I think in some regards they are. And I, and I think we see some of that persecution around the world, maybe a little bit in America. But again, it's so enticing to me that they, they just sat and watched Jesus as he was eating. Just, this guy is a, he's blowing our mind. We just want him gone. We want him silenced. And they watched him as he eat. But look what happens in verse 2. And behold, there was a certain man before him which had dropsy. 
which is like a, an issue of water. And many people believe that it had, it had some, something probably to do with like his, his kidneys or his liver, and whether it's a disease or a condition or something. And so he was, uh, had water or fluid build up on his body or a certain portion of his body. And so this man definitely had a problem physically. It was noticeable. He was considered ceremonial uncle, ceremonially unclean because of this. And so look what happens. Jesus answering, uh, isn't, that, isn't that interesting? Nobody asked him a question. <laughs> You know, like here, here's, here's, here's this man, and Jesus already knows what the question is, and, and all of a sudden he's just, okay, let me give you an answer to your question. Could you imagine that? I mean, sitting there, I'll, you're wondering that in your heart, and then Jesus says, I'll answer that for you. Whoa! <laughs> so that's, that's what happened. Jesus answered and said, uh, speaking of the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, is it lawful to eat on the Sabbath day? Or to heal on the Sabbath day, I'm sorry. And look what they did. They held their peace. Why would they hold their peace? Well, I would say the reason why they held their peace is because he already has made them, and I'm not saying this in like a, a lofty way or, or, or a disrespectful way at all, but he's already silenced them with this. He, he, and we'll talk about that in just a second. He already, we already had an encounter of them thinking they're getting on their high horse and going to prove Jesus wrong, he, and he already, he, already, he already faced that. But so he asked them a question, hey, so, hey guys, let's, let's, let's deal with this matter again. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath day? Nobody said anything. And so he took him, and he healed him, and he let him go. And answering them, again, nobody asked a question. Answered them, saying, which of you shall have an ass or an ox fall into a pit? Ah, going back to that issue again. And will not straightway pull him out on the Sabbath day. Which of you guys, again, will have a, 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 a livestock fall in, the, in a pit, and, and not take care of it on the Sabbath day. You're just going to leave them there and die. And, and again, we, we know why people wouldn't have done that. The same reason why people don't do things in this world the same way they do things in the church. The reason why those religious people wouldn't do that to their ox or their ass is because it was a means of providing for themselves. It was a means of money, kind of like our jobs. Again, we wouldn't treat our jobs sometimes the way that we treat the church. But because it's, it's, it's that, that's how we handle it. That's why Jesus asked them, hey, so if, if this is such a, if it's a religious matter, if it's a spiritual matter, who of you wouldn't have a livestock that meant money fall into, you just leave them there because it's the Sabbath day, remember? And again, they could not answer him on these things. Because they knew, that Jesus could see their heart. He knew they were more about themselves, they were more about their stuff, they were more about their money, they were more about their, all of those things than they were truly and sincerely about God, who he was here on this earth as. And so again, he's, he's asking them this question. I want you to, again, remind you of that issue of the woman that was bent over for 18 years. The Bible says she had a debilitating spirit that caused her to bend over and she couldn't raise her own self for 18 years. And there she was in the midst of these, these groups, and they were wanting to see what Jesus was going to do. And Jesus healed her. And she stands up straight after 18 years, lets her go, and then he, he challenges them with that same thing. You're going to criticize me that this woman's been bound for 18 years, that I healed her, that I, that I touched her and set her free on the Sabbath day. Yet if you had an ox that was in, the, in a ditch, you're telling me that you would leave it there because it was there on the Sabbath day. The intent of the law was missed by the religious crowd. The heart of it was missed by the religious crowd. And again, they were self-absorbed. They were thinking about their lives. They were thinking about their stuff. They were thinking about what mattered to them. Self-absorbed. In some manuscripts, that word, instead of ass, is son. And if, it's that, if that was the case, think about that. Think about that challenge that Jesus put before them. How many of you who have a son and your son falls into a, a well or a pit on the Sabbath day, wouldn't grab his son out of there. Well, absolutely I would. I mean, that's my son. Okay. But this person needs healing and help on the Sabbath day as well. Either way, the answer to this question was none of them. None of them would leave their their donkey, none of them will leave their, their ox, none of them will definitely leave their son. Of course, in today's society, I guess some people would. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the news recently. 
holy moly, what is going on in our world? I guess some people would, but in this day, they wouldn't. They wouldn't. And so Jesus asked the question, none of them. Um, again, they were more focused on their kingdom than they were God's kingdom. And that's not only what I believe breaks from my heart alone, but I, I can't imagine what it does to the Lord's, who yet again maybe find his people more religious than they are relating to him. See, you couldn't tell the Pharisees anything. You couldn't tell them that they were wrong. You couldn't challenge them, you couldn't challenge them in their commitment. And the reason why you, we, we know that is because what were they trying to do with Jesus as he was doing that? They were trying to kill him. Kill him. They were trying to silence him as he was challenging them in their religion. Not in their relationship with God because he was very clearly saying, you don't have a sincere relationship with God. You have a religion for yourself that suits yourself, that benefits yourself. It's all about you. And so you don't have a real relationship with God. And he was challenging them in that, and they were getting angry with that. They weren't hearing that. They weren't responding to his word because of that. You couldn't tell them that their heart was in the wrong place. I mean, in their minds, they knew God, and they knew his word. There was nothing that they were doing wrong in God's sight. Who did Jesus think he was coming and telling them? How, they, they, they'd been religious how long? They'd, they'd been going to the temple for how long? And yet Jesus coming and telling them that they were going to miss the kingdom of God because they weren't surrendered to him the way that he said they should be. See, pride, selfishness, and hypocrisy was surrounding this religious group and all played a role in deceiving this religious group. Pride, selfishness, and hypocrisy. And my goodness, if we're honest and we look at churchgoers today, how similar things may be. When, would, when will we have eyes that are open to this truth? How far do we have to go down the line? How far away from what God really wants do we have to go? See, still in church, churches even like this, I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers, but I'm saying churches in like this, still there's people who play religious games, who go through religious motions, who claim religious things, know the religious lingo, but their life reveals no true personal relationship with Christ through submission to him as Lord. Lord. See, that's the, that was the disconnect with the Pharisees and what Jesus was teaching and bringing. They, they knew God. They knew of God. They knew Yahweh. They were, oh, oh they don't even write his name holy. Don't even speak his name without washing it. Don't, this, is, this is so I and mean, we know God, we know his word. If anybody knows, it's us. And yet Jesus was challenging them that they were going to miss the kingdom of God. So again, we look at the landscape today, and I think there's so many people that are full of religion. They know everything about God's word. They know God's name. They know he came in the flesh. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. They know all those things. They know the religious lingo. They know the service orders. They know the songs that we sing. They know all those things. But when it comes to this one issue, it still rubs people wrong. And this issue is what Jesus was challenging those religious people with. Surrendering to him as Lord. Lord. Not just having a God or a God in their life that they point to, but surrendering as Lord. In a religious person's life, the reality is that sin, self, and satisfaction all come first. God, his church, his mission, in a religious person's life are all subject to personal interpretation. Well, that's how you feel about it. That's not how I feel about it. In a religious person's life, God, his church, his mission are all subject to personal preference and are all subject to convenience to the religious churchgoer. I, well, if I've got time or if I can, yeah, then I'll do it. To the religious person, that's the way they see God, his church, his mission. It is a matter of convenience. 
So point number one this morning is very serious and very important. Jesus isn't an idea to fancy, but he's the Lord to submit to. He's the Lord to submit to. Jesus isn't just some idea. Well, I've heard about Jesus my whole life. I've sang songs to him. I've sang songs about him. I've, I've talked to people about him. He's not an idea. He's not, some, he's not some thought process. It's not some imaginative thing. He is the Lord to reign over our lives. That's who Jesus is. And again, he was challenging these religious people, these Pharisees, as he was sitting in their presence. He was saying, listen, this is what you're missing. And again, I'm wondering today, when we look at the landscape of, of Christianity, of churchgoers today, even in Baptist churches, if there's that disconnect still doesn't exist, and I believe it does. So I believe there's a lot of people in here that, that you, you knew, you were familiar with most of the songs that we sang. You're familiar even with some of the story that we're talking about. All these things are familiar. Maybe you're raised in church. You're familiar with all these things, yet there's still something missing because in your life, the way it's played out is this. Well, I might go. Well, I might serve. It depends on if this or it depends on if that. Well, I might witness. Well, I, it's all subject to self or satisfaction or convenience or sin. And that's, again, what Jesus was saying. He's not, not an idea. He was the Lord to reign over their lives. Please get this. And if you're taking notes, I encourage you to jot it down. It's not in your notes. But God has laid it on my heart this morning. There's an eternal difference between calling Jesus Lord and him being Lord. Jesus said that. He said in Matthew chapter 7, many in that day will say unto me, Lord, Lord. But in the end, he says, I'm going to tell them, depart from me. I never knew you. You, you serve sin. You, 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 you're a worker of sin. There's an e and I'm not, I just didn't say a difference. I said there's an eternal difference between calling Jesus Lord and him actually being Lord. And I, I want us to really think about that because it's only those who are who Jesus is Lord over that are going to enter into the kingdom of God. So if Jesus rules over your life, if he is the Lord of your life, in other words, when you consider the things that you're going to do in this life, the places you're going to go, the things you're going to do, how you're going to serve him, what you're going to do for him, when you think about all those things, the decisions that you make in your life on this earth, if your thought doesn't go, does it please my Lord? Is it in line with my Lord's life? There's something wrong. There's something wrong. Either number one, he is not your Lord, or number two, backslidden. And you have taken that place where, where once, maybe years ago, you submitted your life down, you surrendered, you laid it down before him, and, and you, you called on him, and you asked him to be your Savior and Lord. You turned from sin. You surrendered your life. You got saved. But somewhere along the journey, sin crept in, whether it was commission or omission, something happened in your life, and you began to take back the reins of your life. You began to take back the, the steering wheel and began to try to put yourself back in that driver's seat. You, you began to get out of fellowship with the Lord. And so that happens. Maybe today's the day as Rochelle was singing that song, Lord, please forgive me. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be in the driver's seat. You're my Lord. And by the way, if we are backslidden, if we are truly his, the Bible says in Hebrews that a son is not without chastisement. Because if he is, he's illegitimate. And so we've got to make sure, if, if you say, I know I'm saved, I, Jesus is my Lord, and you know that you're not living your life, allowing him to be the Lord, guess what's happening in your life? Correction. Chastisement. And you know it's correction and chastisement, because you have a relationship with him as your Lord. I pray that if you find yourself trying to defend why you're making Jesus, why you're making his church, why you're making his mission, a matter of preference or convenience. I pray that you'll turn from that today. That as a people, if needed, as a church, we'll turn from that today. 
that will stop having some spiritualized idea of salvation in Jesus and encounter him in the realness that he is. Stop having some spiritualized, fancied idea that, that well, I mean, I, I know everything. I go through the motions. No. He is the real God. He is the real Lord. Daily, he's desiring to walk with us. Daily, he's desiring for us to submit to him. He doesn't want anything to do with that Phariseeism, that religion that mankind makes for themselves. He wants a personal, intimate walk with us every single day. And he wants to look down from, from his place at the right hand of the throne of God and look down at his people, his church, gathered in unity, striving together for the faith of the gospel and in unity, the church that he came down to this earth for and shed his blood for and purchased with that precious blood. He wants to see us together because we're all submitted to him as Lord. Not some fancied idea of what a religious experience is. Scripture is clear, and Jesus made it clear, you can't serve sin and the Savior. You can't serve self and the Savior. And you can't serve stuff and the Savior. In 1 John, it tells us this, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And if the love of the Father is not in us, Guess, what, guess who's not in us? The Father. The Holy Spirit. So again, we can't serve ourselves. We can't serve sin. Paul said that in Romans. You, you're, you, you're not the servants of sin anymore. How can you serve sin when you're dead to sin? And if we're trying, it's futile. If we're trying to serve sin and the Savior, if we're trying to serve ourselves and the Savior... When you're trying to serve this world or stuff in this world, and in in, in the Savior at the same time, it's futile. And, and today is the day for us to submit to him as Lord once and for all. But I need to move forward. In verse 7, it says this back in our text. But he put forth a parable to those that were bidden. And he says this, when he, when he marked how they chose out the chief room, saying unto them, so again, here's what happens. Jesus is sitting there. This, this is going on. He heals this, uh, this man and uh, answering their questions. And then he notices how everybody's sitting in, in the room. And again, this is a chief, this is a religious person. He's noticing how everybody's sitting. And so he says unto them, When thou art, art bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than, uh, than thou be bidden of him. And he that bade thee and, and him come and say to thee, Give this man place, and thou begin with shame. To take the lowest room. So this is when you go invite and you're invited to a, a, a wedding, don't go and seat, sit in like the most honorable place because it's going to be real shameful and embarrassing if the, the person who invited you uh, has a more important person to them come to their wedding, show up, and you're sitting in the seat that they want them to sit in, and then that, that person come to you and say, hey, uh, this was actually their seat. And in front of everybody, can you go find another place? <laughs> can, you go, can you go find another seat? And I just want to say something about this. And I'm not, I want to brag on our church a little bit because people have given this testimony uh, from their own mouth. We, our homeless ministry um, has picked up um, people from the street, people without homes, people struggling, people that are trying to get their lives back. Um, and our homeless ministry has done an amazing job of, of bringing people here and, and uh, caring for them and, and feeding them and, and all those things. But here, here's why I want to brag on our church. Because by their own testimony, they said this church is unique. You don't make us go sit in some separate room. You don't isolate us from the rest of the body. You love on us. You welcome us. You hug our necks and shake our hands. You're just real with us. And when you don't look at us as some type of outcast. And I said, man, I, there's no way I could, I would never allow that in this church. There's no way. Absolutely not. And look what, where Jesus turns this now. He says, you, you, you do this, and, he, and, and it says, uh, you know, you're going to be with shame to go to the lower room of verse 10. But when thou art bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room. That when he that invited you comes, he may say unto you, hey friend, go up higher, go, go sit closer up to the front. 
And then shalt thou have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with thee. For whosoever exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. See, Jesus was teaching a very vital and very eternal principle. That there is a lifting up, there is a promotion, there's, a, there's an exalting that is, is real. But it only happens through sincere humility. And the Lord does it. I've worked outside of, of the church only a little bit. When I was a teenager um, and then uh, a very young man before I surrendered in ministry at 19, uh, almost 20, a, a couple weeks away from 20. And, and, and I saw the, the way the world's idea in just that few years, and of course living in, in the world and knowing how the world system goes. Um, and Rochelle worked outside the home for, for many, many years, and she experienced it. And so I, I, I know how the world system goes of promotion. And most of the time, most of the time, the world system of promotion doesn't happen the way Jesus is saying it. If you, if you humble yourself, and decide to be this servant and, and don't want to be recognized, don't want anybody to know what you're doing, don't want anybody to see what you're doing. If you decide to do that, most of the time, somebody's going to jump over your back. That's just the way the world goes. Uh, because the bosses have to see what you're doing and how you're doing it and how you stand out and how you need to be trusted with something more. So it's kind of a, the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Jesus said, listen, if you want to be exalted, if you, if you want to be raised up, and the same thing uh, I've seen in ministry since then. I've seen people say, you know what, I want to serve God. I want to do something for God. I, I want to do something more for God. And you know who God uses? You know how the people that God does that with? You know who he does it with? Is those people that, don't, that are in all sincerity. They don't need recognition. They just serve whatever needs to be done. I mean, they're just willing to do whatever, whenever, and they, they love doing it. That it's just a joy in whatever. You need help sweeping. You need help picking up trash. The deacons need help tables and chairs. and uh, I mean, just love doing it. Don't have to have anything, nothing. Just have that, that humble servant's heart. And see, God used those people and raised them up, even in the church. So there is a lifting up, but it's only through humility. And that's the way God's always worked. You're not sure about that? Noah. It was when he surrendered that God used him that way. We'll keep going. Moses. He fought it at first, but it was when he surrendered and humbled himself that God used him like that. We'll keep going. The kings. When they did that, when they surrendered, God used them. Isaiah. Here I am, send me. Jesus, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Paul, what wilt thou have me to do? That humble, surrendered heart. And that's not just for this life either. See, the Pharisees, because they had position, because they had prominence, because they had slapped a title on their, on their, on their robes, they were blinded to the truth that it's only those that humble the, their lives before God that would have a prominent place in the kingdom of God. But again, it was their pride, it was their ignorance through that that blinded them to this truth. And so today we have to take that and say, you know what, if God's going to do anything with my life, it's not going to be because I have a, a pastor tag on my jacket. It's not going to be because I have a, a position if God's going to do something with my life, it's not because people know me or they hear me. None of that. If God's going to do something with my life and I'm going to bring glory to his name and he's going to lift me up and give me that place in his kingdom, his eternal kingdom, it's going to be because my life is laid down in humble service to him. It's going to be because my life is bowed down to him as, as Lord over my life. That's how God is going to use me, and that's how he's going to use you. And that's how, guess what? One of these days, our eyes are going to close, or our Lord's going to split the sky, and he's going to come, and he's going to call those of us who are his to be with him for all of eternity. And guess what? That is his eternal kingdom. That is the kingdom, the life that we were all destined to live, that he desires all men to live. 
that life, not this life, with iPhones and iPads and, and all that kind of stuff. Not that, not, not, not this life. Well, we have to worry about what, it, I was talking this morning with one of our new members, with an internet service provider. Oh, my goodness. Sometimes, when, or a TV service provider, you know, beat your head against the wall or utilities. I mean, not this life. That's not the life we were called to. I may live here for 70 years. I may not, may not even make that. I may live here for 40 years. But I'm going to live in his presence forever. Forever. And Jesus very clearly says that there are places and jobs. There are, there are things that we will do for the Lord that he will either entrust us with or not entrust us with in his eternal kingdom. And it, just because we haven't lived there and we don't see what that job looks like and we don't understand or really wrap our minds around what those tasks and what that entrustment looks like doesn't mean that it won't mean something for all of eternity. See, we believe that those people who reject Jesus Christ are going to spend this torment in the lake of fire, that there's no hope, there's no relief. They will never get out of that. You know, in our minds we think, well, that never? I mean, it will never go from like, a bazillion degrees to like half a bazillion degrees? No, it's eternal. It's forever. It was designed for Satan and his demons. And those who reject will spend their eternity without any reprieve, without any relief. It will be that way forever. They will not have any hope. Well, maybe I'll make it to a different level of hell. Maybe I'll make it to a, a different place where I can connect with some different people. No, it will be like that forever. No hope in the lake of fire. No help, no change. In God's eternal kingdom, it's going to be that way for all of eternity. But that's why the commitment to Jesus Christ and the submission to him as Lord in these few years that we have in this temporal life is so vital. That's why I'm so passionate about it. That's why I want our, our leadership and our people to get on board because I want you I, not just for, it's not about me, it's about you. It's about us understanding this is the one shot we get to live for him, to, to tell others about him, to, to store up treasures in heaven, not on this earth. This is the one shot we get in these few years. That's it. And then it's done. And when those moments pass and those opportunities and those years are gone, they're gone. That's why, that's why Paul said, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Buy it up. Use it up for his glory and his kingdom. In verse 12, back in our text, then he also said to them that bade him, when thou makest a dinner or supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they all be, also bid thee and recompense be made to thee. In other words, he's saying this. Don't, don't, don't just invite everybody you know and, 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 and the people you know they got money um, and, and all those. Don't, don't, don't just invite those people because you know that they can turn around and invite you back to their house and do the same thing to you. You know, isn't that interesting the way that we operate today? And, and I'm, I'm guilty of it too. Uh, somebody wants to be a blessing to me. Hey, let me, let me buy your dinner. Let me, take you to, let me take you to lunch. And immediately in my mind, my thought is this. I'll get the next one. Right? And we do that. I mean, I do that. But we shouldn't have to. We shouldn't have to. I mean, if I do that or Rochelle and I do that, I honestly don't do it expecting anybody to return anything to us at all we're doing it because we want to i mean that's it period i mean there's no expectation if we never get the opportunity to ever go to dinner again and you never get the opportunity to buy our dinner back i promise you this nothing changes in our hearts towards you i promise you that there's no expectation of that and i'm not saying that in a prideful way i'm just saying that's just the sincerity of a heart but why do I feel like on the opposite side when somebody does something for me that I have to say, well, I'll get it next time? The, the way that we're wired, right? Jesus says, don't invite the people that can pay you back, knowing they can pay you back. He says, but thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, the people that are in need. The people that, that, that are in need of that time, the people in that need of that resource, the people that, are, that need that blessing, call those people, and thou shalt be blessed because they can't, they can't pay you back. 
and you will be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. Isn't that interesting how Jesus said, you know what, don't be concerned about being paid back in this world. Don't be concerned about that. You need to be worrying about where your heart is and how you treat people and how you deal with people and, 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 and what you do for people and why you do it for people. Because if you do it for people that can't pay you back and you just do it out of the love and the genuineness of your heart and you really honestly don't feel like there is a need at all for them to ever pay you back, if you do it for that reason, guess where your reward's going to be? In eternity. Remember that? will never change. will never go away. That's why it's important to do that. So again, the intent of the law for these Pharisees were being completely missed. And I believe that we have so many people missing the intent of God's word today. And a major point among many found in this lesson is this. And, and I shared a little bit of this with our, our, our deacons and elders yesterday. And it's point number two. Everything is not about you. And listen, this is speaking to me too. But don't we live our lives like that? Like we live our lives like everything's about us. Well, they treated me wrong. Well, they didn't do me right. Everything's not about you. But again, our lives are lived like they are. And Jesus was showing this. Don't do things looking to benefit you alone. Do things in love for others in need. Have that mind. Have that heart. Live like that. Live your life thinking of others. Your faithfulness to attending a corporate worship service like this one. Our other services we have tonight, this week. Express a concern. Not only a concern for God that when he says not forsaking the assembling, he meant it. But when we gather, it's important. Because in those few years that we have on this earth, one of the most important things to the people of God should be focusing on God. As the people of God together. That should be one of the most important things on this earth. Think about that. Man, I, I promise you this. There's a lot of sports fans in here. If somebody came up to you and said, I'm going to give you free tickets to the Super Bowl, to the NBA final, game seven, to, to the World Series, I'm going to give them to you. Well, that's thousands of dollars worth. Uh, uh, I'm just going to give them to you. How important that would, would that be for you to make? And it's a sports game. Guess what's going to happen? Somebody's going to win and somebody's going to lose. It's going to be put in some book, in some record. Video's going to be put out. It's going to be there. But one day, it's going to be gone. It won't be around. But the things that may happen in a church service, the things, the people's lives that may be touched even by you, those things will go on forever. The impact will be forever. But we approach the things of God even like this, in this manner. I don't think it's that important for me to be there. I mean, am I, am I, I'm not really doing anything. I don't think it's really important for me to be there because, I, you know, I, I've got this other stuff going on. I, I've got... Everything is not about you. Amen. And the Pharisees were living their lives like it was. The Pharisees were living their lives like everything was about them. We can make it personal. And we can make that a daily reminder. And I have for myself, and I want to encourage you to do it for yourself. You say, what are you talking about? Write it down somewhere. Put it on a sticky note. Let it stare you in the face every day. What? Write it down. Everything is not about me. Everything's not about me. We've touched on this in the study already, the selfish mindset that's prevalent today. Man, you can see it in the kids growing up. It's already there. They're being ingrained by society and culture. It's such a selfish-natured society. And I brought it out in the study, as I said already, that mindset of you do you, I'll do me, and we'll be fine. You worry about you, I'll worry about me. But that's the case. We want that mindset for the most part when we're religious and we're self-centered and self-absorbed. We, we have that mindset. We want that mindset. 
That is until we want someone to care about our problem or our need. Right? Like I'm going through something right now and nobody cares. Whoa, 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 whoa. Remember you said, you do you, I'll do me. You worry about you and I'll worry about me. But now you're going through something and you want someone to be worried about you. And those people are wrong because they don't worry about you. But if we live daily, like everything isn't about us, and we're, we're concerned about others, and we're concerned about Christ's testimony lived through our life, and how that impacts others, the needs and problems are going to be dealt with organically, naturally, within the body of Christ. If every single church member of Trinity Baptist Temple approached not only corporate worship, but everything about living life from day to day as a member of the, of the church of Jesus Christ, but a member of this local body, if every single member approached the, with, with this in mind, others first, all of our needs, all of our problems, all of our struggles, everything would be organically dealt with. And the Holy Spirit would move in a way that, that was far beyond all natural resources. And it would be completely supernatural if we live that way. And on that note, you know how when you, you got a problem or a hurt on your arm or your leg or something? I'm talking about hurt, like, like, a, like a problem. You, isn't it amazing that you know you have a problem? And that's amazing, right? How do you know you have a problem when you got a problem? It hurts. Huh. Well, how do you know that it hurts? It's telling your body that it hurts, right? It's saying something, right? I mean, sometimes you don't, maybe the, you don't realize the hurt's there. You got a bruise. I know many of us have done that. You got a bruise before, and you don't know you got a hurt. You don't even know you got a bruise until somebody touches it, right? Ow, whoa. And all of a sudden, your body just told, or that part just told your brain, I've got a hurt. I've got a problem. What about your tummy? We know when we got a tummy problem, right? Amen. Amen. It tells us. Sometimes it tries to tell other people. <laughs> but it speaks. It, it, it tells us that something is wrong. And listen, as members of the same body, attached to the same head, as members together, we should say something when we have a need, or when we're hurting, or when we're struggling. Yes, sometimes we have that discernment, and sometimes we can see it, and some we can say, you know, what's wrong? What's going on? But sometimes not, because why? Because a lot of us are really good at going, Whoosh. I'm good. No, I'm fine. We're good at that. Good at going through the motions and playing. Man, what if there was something tragically wrong with a limb, and it got so bad and so wrong that it had to be cut off because it wasn't speaking and saying what it needed. In the body of Christ, if you're hurting, you're struggling, say something. Say something like this. You just pray for me. I'm, I'm struggling. You you don't, well, I don't want everybody to know all my business. Well, nobody's saying that. You can just simply say, will you pray for me? I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I'm having a hard time. Speak, say something. We need to live considering others first. And we need to have that mindset that the Bible says Christ had in Philippians chapter 2. I'm not going to read that, but it's in your notes. I really encourage you. We use that scripture several times, very familiar scripture. But I encourage you to go back and look, look at it and go back through it. Basically, it says this. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who thought himself not to be anything. But he made himself no reputation and humbled himself, became obedient even unto death, the death of the cross. Jesus Christ, God, humbled himself and he yielded himself. He came to this earth for us. That was the mindset. I'm, I'm giving up everything for you. And let's look back in our text as the last point. 
We'll get to in verse 16. And he said unto him, A certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his servant send his servant at supper time to say to them which are bidden come for all things are now ready and they all with one consent began to make excuse the first said i bought a piece of ground and i gotta go see it We've t- i've preached this did this before such a such a an odd and awkward and really bad excuses <laughs> that they said i bought land and i gotta go see it look don't do that i'm telling you don't do that people don't don't say yeah, i'll buy your land and then go see it look at the land first and then buy it Another said, I bought, I bought five yoke of oxen, and i got to go test them out. Don't do that either. You know, sometimes you get on Craigslist, and they say, hey, they're, they're free. i got five oxen for, for a dollar. <laughs> i got a Mercedes Benz, and for five dollars you can have it. You know, that's what he's saying. Hey, i got five oxen, i got to go try them out. i got to see if they actually work. No, don't do that. And then this was probably the most comical, verse 20. Another said, I've married a wife. Therefore, I cannot come. <laughs> Somebody said, that's true, brother. <laughs> I got a wife, and I can't come. That's the way it, that's the way it is. Uh, find somebody else. But seriously, look what it says. And so the servant came and showed his, his Lord these things. And the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Then go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. There they are again, the needy, the hurting. And the servant said, Lord, it's done as thou hast commanded, and yet there's still room. And the Lord said unto his servant, Go out then in the highways and the hedges and compel the outside of the city and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of these men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. See, Jesus was given a parable right in the face of these people that was speaking to their eternal destination, their eternal destiny. This is what he was saying. Those people that he came to first and invited, but they had excuses why they couldn't come, aren't entering in. Guess who Jesus came to first? John chapter 1 tells us. He came into his own, and his own received him not. The religious Jewish crowd is who Jesus came to. And they said, we don't want to have anything to do with you because we have our own religion. We have our own life. We do our own thing. And we're not following you. And they weren't going to be a part of it. He says, so then I want you to go out into the needy. And that's exactly what we see with Jesus as he begins his ministry. What does he do? He begins healing those that are in sick. The, the, the woman caught in adultery. All those people, those Jews that are hurt and the outcasts of the religious society. The religious Jews. He said, you know what? Go to those people. And those people entered in. But there was still room. And so guess what happened? He calls the apostle Paul, who becomes the apostle, to the Gentiles. And they go outside of the city to the Gentiles, to us. And we are invited in. So without question, Jesus was using this occasion to teach these vital points. Number one is this. Not everyone who assumes they're going to be in the kingdom of God, will be in the kingdom of God. Number two, excuses for not following Christ seem to be good, the owners of them, but they're big miscalculations. Another point he was teaching in this was this, that the religious, the religious will miss the kingdom of God. And the outcasts and unclean and Gentiles would have open invitations. And I praise God for that. Point three is this. Assumptions and excuses are grave spiritual missteps. Assumptions and excuses are grave spiritual missteps. And how many times do we as Christians even do that? We assume and we make excuses both for ourselves or why we don't do or or someone else. And those are grave spiritual missteps. Grave spiritual mistakes. Thomas Fuller once said this, bad excuses are worse than none. I married a wife and I can't come? I got five oxen, I got to go try them out, I bought a piece of land, I need to go look at it. Those are bad excuses. It would have just been better for those, 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 those Pharisees that Jesus was talking to, and in the parable, if Jesus' parable went like this, it would be a little more plain. If you don't want to give me your life, don't. Don't come up with an excuse. Just reject it and move about with your life. But many still make that today. Some musicians make their way. Many people assume 
the Lord's going to be pleased with them. Regardless of their hearts, regardless of the fruit that they have or they don't have, regardless of the commitment that they have to the Lord, or, or regardless of the commitment they don't have to the Lord, regardless of the surrender that they have or the lack of surrender, people assume that God's just going to say, you know what, I'm still pleased with you. Many people give excuses why they aren't following and going God's way, why, why they're not giving or trying to give all. Look, I'm not saying we're all perfect. I'm not saying I'm perfect, that I give all all the time. I'm not saying that. But many people are, try to give that excuse why they're not even attempting it, not even striving after that. And they think that that's okay and that Jesus is okay with that. But again, these are all making grave spiritual missteps in life. And they have eternal consequences. So please understand, these may be hard points, but I believe they're only hard points for the religious. There's a religious crowd, and just like Jesus' day, they don't want to have anything to do with it. But I believe that there's another crowd here today. There was another crowd standing by in Jesus' day when he's teaching. It was that surrendered crowd. And what it is for the surrendered crowd is this. It's fuel. It's encouragement. It, yeah, it may be challenge, but it's encouragement to the surrendered crowd. So I guess the question is this, this morning, which crowd are you in? Do you find these points and you say, I just don't, I don't agree with that, I don't like that. I don't, that's, it, you're calling for something. And I, I just want to warn you, I, I believe you're in the, in the religious crowd. And, and maybe your response to that is, I disagree with you. Okay. I just would hate for eternity to reveal that and, and you not take care of it right now. I would just hate for you to stand before the Lord on that day, as Matthew chapter 7 says, and be a part of that group that says, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things that we showed up for church? We sang those songs. We knew what your word said. We believe that you died on the cross and rose from the dead. We did it. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. Why? Let's go back to what I said earlier. Because they were calling him Lord, but he wasn't their Lord. And I pray that then no one is in the, that religious crowd today doing that, just calling Jesus Lord. But you know in your heart of hearts you can look at your life and you know that he's not directing your life. He's not directing your steps. You're not submitting to him as Lord. That's not the way it is. So either number one, he's not your Lord, and you're not going to enter into his kingdom. Or number two, there was a time in your life you made him your Lord, but you pushed him out of the driver's seat. You've shoved him off the throne of your, of your heart. And you've tried to take back control of a life that is no longer yours. A life that was bought with a price. And so this morning would be the morning to say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I, I give it back to you. I surrender all to you again. It's a journey with Jesus. Let's make sure that it's that. A journey with him. Not our own journey. I, just, I pray that you respond to God's word as this challenged me. Yes, it's been an encouragement to me, but it's challenged me. And as I said a while ago, maybe just that reminder, everything's not about you. Put it on your dash. Put it on your computer. Put it on your mirror in the morning. Everything's not about you. All right, I'm going to live my day like that. I'm going to live my day focused on others, submitted to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge in your word. God, you love us so much that you won't let us stray far. You love us so much that you won't let us go in this world without direction and without care and love and blessings, but also that chastisement. And I praise you for that, Lord. I thank you for what you've done in my life through this message, and I pray that you would do in all of our lives together what's needed in this message, Lord. That we as your people, the people that are your people in this room, that we'll respond in the right way, that if we aren't truly living our lives with you as Lord, that we'll get that right today, that we won't say, I'll do it later, that we won't say, I'll do it tonight, that we won't say that uh, another time, that right now, in this moment, we'll redeem the time and we'll get it right, and we'll put you back in your rightful place as Lord as we repent and as we submit once again. And again, Lord, if there's someone that's never done that in their life, 
that never have truly made you the Lord, I pray they would do that this morning. They wouldn't worry about what people think. They wouldn't worry about what people say, that they realize how important eternity is and how long it is and how real it is. And they'll give their life to you once and for all this morning. Or just move in this way and we'll praise you for it all in Jesus' name.